world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this Thursday, June 15th edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We got a few shows left before our summer hiatus, and so we're going to continue with our football opponent previews with Charlotte and UTSA as we look forward to the coming fall and and the upcoming season 2023 campaign for the Pirates. Of course, we had an awesome conversation with ECU Director of Athletics, John Gilbert, yesterday. Go check that out if you missed it. It's on the IBX Media app. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook. He basically just answered your questions for an hour straight, and it was an awesome conversation. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from John Gilbert's visit with us on Hoist the Colors, but today we are rejoined by Philip Pilkington. He's down at the beach, and Philip, it is time to continue our series as well. we got the opponent previews coming up, and we also have our in-depth look at the American Athletic Conference and the teams entering the league, and... We've done four already. We've got two left to do, and North Texas is up next. And uh, how excited are you to to talk about what the Mean Green bring to the American Athletic Conference? It's about as excited as I was to talk about Rice, I think. Maybe less excited than I was to talk about Rice. At least Rice has a baseball team. Yeah, that is true. Really odd that North Texas does not have a baseball team, for those that don't follow college baseball closely you got a program that's just outside of dallas and denton texas it's a massive school forty-two thousand students we'll talk again about what uh you know the americans plans as far as trying to add some of these programs to the conference and upgrade its profile to replace the houston's the ucfs etc there's a similar model there so again let's see what they're going for we'll get into that discussion but you would just think if you're in Texas, why not play baseball, Philip? I mean, it's a great – I know it's more about football in Texas, but still great talent in the state of Texas for baseball would seemingly be pretty easy to find some good talent there. But I guess these schools are just uh, not, not willing to foot that bill right now. Yeah, you wonder if it's one of those things where I guess you only have so much size for your athletic complex, and baseball is a men's sport, so you had to worry about Title IX and you know going back to the size thing. You, it's maybe uh, I don't know what real estate prices are like out there, but maybe they're a little high. I mean, not that you need that much for a college baseball stadium, but it is surprising. I mean, SMU, you know, they're in the greater Dallas area as well, and they don't have a baseball team. So TCU just being over a little to the west in Fort Worth must love this. So we're live on YouTube, live on Facebook. If you got a question for us, drop it, and we'll get to it again later in the program. Shortly, we'll be joined by Hunter Bailey from the Charlotte Observer. He covers the Charlotte 49ers. And we'll also be joined by J.J. Perez, who covers UTSA later in the program for 24-7 Sports. But we're talking North Texas right now as we continue our series of the American Athletic Conference, the six new teams coming in. And North Texas, I think, along with Rice, just about as – I don't know. I mean, there's really nothing in common between those programs and ECU on the surface. At least ECU and Rice have played before. I don't know when the last time East Carolina played North Texas in in football or basketball or if ever. I'm sure it's been a long time if if it has happened. But football-wise, they kind of have an interesting background. They actually used to be Division I. They got demoted to Division I AA slash FCS. And, of course, they moved back 
to Division One, the major Division One FBS level. And so they've had some ups and downs. They've had some good years. They're just over 500 overall as a overall program. They're just three and ten in bowl games. They've got a brand new head coach this coming season after parting ways with Seth Latrell, who had been there a long time. So another team entering the league, trying to find some success in a different way. And anything stand out to you about North Texas football, Philip, as you look at the main green and what they bring to the table? Well, doing a little research here, they did actually come to Greenville back in 1979. The Pirates were victorious in that one, 49-16. to 16. So I guess there's a little history, about as much as you can get. But, uh, I mean, the only thing that really sticks out, I mean, at least they've been decent. They've been to bowl games six of the last seven years, which is, which is cool, I guess. But they're not going to big-time bowls. Uh, I don't think they're really going to bring much to the conference. I'm sure they don't bring a lot TV viewership-wise. I don't know what their attendance is like. I don't know if you have the attendance numbers in front of you there, Stephen, but yet nothing really stands out. I mean, it's better than a bad team coming in. At least they've been to some bowl games, but I don't think they've been good enough. If you see a lot of the records here, six and seven, seven and seven, nine and four, that's not enough to really, you know, elevate the conference in a way where you're going to get respect from the playoff committee. Yeah, they've had their years here and there, especially under Seth Patrell, where they were in the mix for a Conference USA championship, and I think even may have made the Conference USA championship a couple of times, but just not a consistently great program, which, again, it's hard to be consistently good in, in college football these days. Yeah, they made the championship last year, lost to UTSA 48-27, um, and, of course, went on to a bowl game and ended up losing that to Boise State in a pretty competitive game in the Frisco Bowl, 35-32. Yeah, I'm trying to look up some of their, t- their random games now just to see if they have any decent attendance. I'm looking at Louisiana Tech last year. They hosted them in mid-October. And Louisiana Tech, a decent team. The attendance was 16,000. So, I mean, not a – their stadium holds 30,000. It's a decent stadium, but definitely – for for a school that has forty two thousand students, Philip, um, to only be drawing sixteen thousand fans to your game, I know it's it's a similar commuter school to Charlotte. You know, UCF used to be a big commuter school, and eventually those students got behind the program. So I'm sure that's the model. What the Americans going for? Hey, we got this huge market team, big school, huge enrollment. You know, thirty two thousand undergrads, forty two thousand total students. If, if this program invests and has the success it's capable of having, maybe it, it becomes the next UCF. But right now, you know, maybe if you're, if you're the American, you're just looking at, hey, if we take all these schools and just one or two of them work out in a big way, maybe it's worth it. You know, I don't think they're going to hit a home run with all six of these programs, but uh, the, I guess the potential is there going forward. See, I get what you're saying, but I just don't see that with North Texas because I think they are in too much of a hotbed for college athletics. I think Texas is one of those states where it's like, if you didn't go to A&M, Tech, TCU, you're a Texas fan. And, you know, unless your parent is a diehard, everybody in your family has gone to North Texas for all these years, you're probably a Longhorns fan. Or if not, being in the greater Dallas area, you're a TCU fan. I just, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I I get you're saying you're talking about it more from a success thing than a fan thing, and I get that. But, you know, it's so hard for, for 
athletic programs to have a lot of success when there isn't much of a fan base because it's just harder for them to put a lot of money into it. It's harder to get big time recruits when nobody shows up to the games. I just, I really don't get this one. I mean, basketball, we're going to, I know we're going to do that in a second. It's been a little better, I guess, but yeah, Texas is one of those states, man. It's, it's a prime college athletics state. And it's prime for the big-time schools that have been playing at the highest level for over 100 years. Yeah, and uh, and that's the thing, too, is I think anytime you're in a major area like North Texas or UCF, you've got great access to talent. And if you can have enough success, like all those guys that go to big schools out of high school, if they want to transfer back home somewhere they can play, they can go to North Texas close to home right outside of Dallas, whatever, you know, maybe they're from Houston or, or whatnot, and uh, it's a drivable distance. So you have great access to talent there. It's just, I don't know. I mean, is it is it really ever going to become the next UCF like the American may want it to be or even the next Houston, which never, despite having a lot of success, never really had a great home field advantage or, or fan base. So maybe it doesn't matter at the end of the day if you win on the field. But it, it just seems like North Texas Rice – you know, I don't know if they're going to get there, but uh, again, huge school, huge enrollment. I can see what the Americans going for. Let's talk about the North Texas basketball team. That was the team that really shined this past year, twenty six and seven. They made the NIT just on the outside of the NCAA tournament. They uh, went to the NCAA tournament back in two thousand one. They've been to a handful of NCAA tournament appearances all time, Philip. So this is. Another quality basketball program we talk about, you know, football has been decent. Uh, basketball has also had its ups, too. Yeah, and, you know, this is, I think, the one where it is much easier for a team who is just good enough to elevate the conference. You know, a team who's winning six to seven football games doesn't really elevate your conference and make you nationally relevant. But if you can have just enough teams that are squeaking into the NCAA tournament here and there to give you a multi-bid league, I think that's important. And the fact that they've lost a combined 14 games in the last two years and won the NIT a year ago is just going to get enough respect from the committee put on the conference to, I think, help the conference. So I am I wouldn't say excited about, you know, North Texas coming in basketball, but I see it more and I see where the conference can actually have a little benefit from this. And it's something I really can't see in football. Yeah, it says the the North Texas Coliseum, which goes by UNT Coliseum overall, is, uh, is referred to as the Super Pit, which is a nickname derived from its proximity to the former home of the Maine Green basketball team's uh, nickname, the Snake Pit. So, uh, interesting basketball arena name, the Super Pit. I can get behind that, Philip. I mean, at least if you're gonna, if you're gonna have a, a, a you know, a, a pretty, and honestly, a pretty cool mascot, the Mean Green. I think that's original. You know, it's not like the Tigers or the uh, the Lions or anything like that. Like, I'm all for cool mascots and. North Texas Mean Green, Super Pit. So, uh, you know, I think they're starting to win me over a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you there. I kind of like that. Like, man, we're heading to the Super Pit this week. I don't know. It's kind of like it's kind of like UCF calling there a football stadium, the Bounce House. You know, it's anytime you got a nickname and it's it's a little corny, but not too corny. It it does help. I think it probably helps them with marketing. And uh, yeah, the Mean Green that is kind of a. It's like something that uh, it sounds, but I don't mean this in a bad way. It kind of sounds like a high school mascot, but like in a cool way. Like it sounds like a cool high school. So. I like it. 
North Texas Mean Green will be in the conference this fall, first time in the American Athletic Conference they'll be competing, not on ECU's schedule this coming year. So we'll have to we'll have to wait till we make our inaugural trip to Denton, Texas. Uh, you said that game was played in Greenville, right? The the last time they played. Yeah, and in 70, according 73? to Winsipedia, seventy nine. It was 79. according to Winsipedia, it was the only time they've played. I don't. I mean, this thing, this website, I think is pretty accurate. But uh, yeah, uh, Pat Dye was the coach for the Pirates back then. So long time ago, but it was a big win for the Pirates. They won it by thirty three points. So. Maybe we can uh, repeat that whenever they do come back. There you go. We're ready for our uh, first trip to Denton, Texas. That'll be coming up probably in a uh, in a few years. Uh, I don't have the future American Athletic Conference schedules in front of me. But, yeah, North Texas, Rice, uh, and a lot of it is due to the fact we're in Greenville, North Carolina, about as far away on the East Coast as you can get from some of these schools in Texas. But they just don't get my blood flowing. Um I am interested to see how these programs work out long-term, Philip. But as we kind of go through these teams, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I just don't know how to feel about the new-look American. We've got FAU tomorrow. I am excited about going to Boca Raton as a uh, vacation in, 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 uh, in addition to covering some games. But, like, I'm not excited about going to Denton, Texas. Not excited about going to Rice. I don't really like the city of Houston. Too much traffic, so – it's uh, it's an interesting league, at least. No, it is. And I think the only way we're going to really enjoy our trips to Denton, Texas, is if somehow that game's on a Saturday and the Cowboys are hosting one of our NFL teams Sunday. Maybe we can get a Cowboys-Broncos or a Cowboys-Panthers matchup that weekend and one of us can see our NFL teams play. That's that's about all I can hope for, as bad as it sounds. Or the Rangers are hosting either uh, your Mariners or my Red Sox in the playoffs and the game's in October. That'd be pretty cool. But that's, that's about it. That's all I got. And that's just uh, – it shows you how bad it is. I have to literally like reference. Maybe our professional sport teams will be in Dallas that day. That's that's all I got. Yeah, I mean that's the silver lining. I mean you're you're really searching for it, but at least you found it. So, uh, but nah, that's uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. All right, that's Philip Pilkington. That is our fifth school in the American Athletic Conference that we're previewing entering the league. North Texas Mean Green tomorrow. We'll do FAU to wrap up the New Look American Athletic Conference. And we'll be talking to one of the beat writers for one of those teams on the other side. We're going to talk about the Charlotte 49ers as they get set to play ECU for the first time in football this fall. We'll be visiting with Hunter Bailey, who covers Charlotte for the Charlotte Observer. We'll have him on the other side as we continue our ECU football opponent previews. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. 194.3, the game. All right, welcome back to this Thursday, June 15th edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3, the game. We're continuing with our ECU football opponent previews. We've done several already, I think eight or nine. We've got a handful, three or four left, and we're going to do one of those from one of the few in-state programs on ECU's schedule this year and the only in-state program now in the American Athletic Conference, in addition to the Pirates, we're going to speak with Hunter Bailey, who covers Charlotte for the Charlotte Observer. Hunter, welcome into the program, and we'll start with this. How excited is this this team, this fan base, ready for the, the leap to the American Athletic Conference and all that that, that entails? Yes, sir. Uh, first, I appreciate you guys having me on 
Uh, but as far as as far as the fan base goes, there's a lot of excitement for this, and I really think one of the biggest reasons, I mean, outside of joining a, a better conference, is to match up with an in-state rival, having or maybe not even a rival, but just an in-state opponent um, to have that kind of natural game each each season. Uh, Charlotte's played some games against Appalachian State in the past, uh, but it's almost six or seven years between games, so there's really not a uh, a fun in-state matchup. So definitely looking forward to this one for sure. We're with Hunter Bailey, who covers the Charlotte 49ers for the Charlotte Observer, and there's a, a lot to get to with Charlotte, which is still a very young program, kind of fi- finding its way, but definitely – a great opportunity here in the American, and they made a coaching change after this past season, of course, uh, making the decision to move on from Will Healy, who I think did a solid job, all things considered, and, and bringing in Biff Pogey. Uh, interesting hire, but a guy who certainly can recruit. He's got connections. W- what are the early thoughts on, on the job Biff has done with Charlotte? Yeah, so the 49ers moved on from Will Healy after, I believe it was, Week eight, uh, it was a homecoming loss against Florida International, a team that was in a complete rebuild last year, and it was uh, it was it was pretty embarrassing for the program. There was a ton of boos, uh, the fire Will Healy chant. There was a lot uh, that was kind of kind of queued up moving on from the 37 year old head coach, uh, and then Mike Hill, the athletic director, decided to bring in Biff Pogey. Uh, he he is an interesting guy, man. A 62 year old. A former hedge fund manager, a multimillionaire. Um, he could be sitting on a beach, sipping pina coladas anywhere he wanted to. But uh, instead, he's coaching the Charlotte 49ers, and they're off to a pretty good start so far uh, on the recruiting front. They've landed five star, uh, quite a few four stars, um, a lot of three stars uh, to kind of rejuvenate this roster. And they've brought in it's almost 50 new faces um, on the team through the spring and the summer. Uh, so it's a completely revamped team. Uh, social media, as far as 49er fans goes, is, is very excited. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out on the field uh, first year in the American. Obviously, uh, they have tougher schedule than they have road trips at Maryland and at Florida in the non-conference. So it's no small feat uh, for the first year, but there is a lot of optimism uh, around Poji right now. Yeah, I was going to ask, you look at the schedule, Hunter, and you know you bring in so many new faces, which, like, as you say, it's exciting. It's got to also be a little scary because football, I mean, if you're not meshing well together, if you're not playing as one unit, it can, can go sideways pretty quickly. I guess the good news is they open with South Carolina State, which is a winnable game. But then at Maryland, Georgia State's not an easy team. At home, at Florida, at SMU, Navy, at ECU. I mean, that's a pretty brutal stretch to open the season. So how important is it, do you think, you know, for Charlotte, just to have some success, build some continuity early on. Definitely. I think the South Carolina State being the opener is, is huge. They might, I mean, they could win that game by a couple scores, get some momentum going. Uh, but you're right. It, it's tough after that. Um, even getting further into the schedule, uh, there's really not not a great span where you're like, they should win this and this and this game. And, and that's also part of it because – um, under Healy and even prior to Healy, Chris Reynolds was the quarterback of this team for it felt like 47 years. Uh, he finished his time in green and gold. Um, they lost 
second leading receiver, Victor Tucker. They had a wide out drafted in Grant DeBose, uh, the best wide on the team. Elijah Spencer transferred out. There's been a lot of moving pieces. Uh, and we really, all, all the media and fans have seen is the spring game, uh, which was via draft. So you couldn't really see the full units on each side. And you only saw seven throws from the presumed quarterback one, who is Jalen Jones. Uh, so it's, in my opinion, it's really hard to set any expectations. The expectation that I've seen so far is from Vegas and they set the over under win total at three. I think, I mean, when you look at the, the roster on paper, you, you want to trend above three in some of the games that they have, um, on that schedule, but it's hard to set any kind of expectation and just exactly why you talked about there's, the short period to mesh a lot of new faces. And then there's a lot of returning faces who are going to have to accept new roles on the team under a new staff. And it's, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I think that uh, if you can get, if you can find a way to get Georgia state and South Carolina state in that non-conference and at least have strong showings at either Maryland or Florida, you set yourself up for the American gauntlet of a schedule uh in my opinion we're busy with hunter bailey who covers the charlotte 49ers for the charlotte observer and hunter there, there's a multi-step plan to kind of the facilities with charlotte especially jerry richardson stadium over the the course of several years and what they're trying to do there with the athletic facilities and continue to upgrade what have the the you know the crowds uh been like as far as the you know the energy within the the, the stadium well, how's the support for football been? Again, a newer program, so I'm sure it's taking some time to build that support. But what what are the crowds like? What can East Carolina fans expect when they make the trip there in a, in a couple of years? I think that uh, without a shadow of doubt, it doesn't matter if Charlotte is winless or is 7 or 8 and no. If they were to play ECU, that stadium is going to be jam-packed. There's a lot of Pirate alumni in Charlotte, and uh, there's a, a lot of people, I think, that would travel for that game. Uh as far as as far as the stadium itself, uh, it's currently Richardson Stadium seats fifteen thousand three hundred fourteen fans, which is the smallest in the FBS. As you mentioned, they're working on expanding uh, to double the capacity up to thirty thousand. They're going to add like a, a another level on um, expand, add some suites, a lot of different things like that. And the funding, I think that rolled out a little over a year ago. The funding for that. Um, it's done process. They haven't given us any information at all on the standing uh, as far as that goes. But with the with the actual stadium environment itself, uh, when the, when the 49ers are doing well, the weather's nice. You can expect ten to fifteen thousand. Uh, they've had a couple of sellouts, like when they beat Duke um, in 2021. That game was nearly sold out, um, and the two home games after that, which was. Gardner Webb and the Middle Tennessee, both being Friday night games, I believe, were sellouts. Uh, you can, the tailgating uh, leaves a little bit of room to be desired. Uh, they are adding like a student tailgate section there this year. Um, and there's a little section called Normulence, brand by some fans um, and alumni of the university. Um, they literally pull an ambulance right up to the stadium, uh, right outside, and it's Got all kinds of fun drinking games and whatnot. Uh, so overall, the environment's pretty good. Like I say, it leaves a little to be desired, but 
when the program is good, they are bringing home some wins, like the start of the 21 season when they were got off to four and two start. Uh, there were a lot of fans in attendance, and if things continue on this path with Poji, you hope that, that that happens again this year. East Carolina will host Charlotte on Saturday, October 21st in the inaugural meeting between the two teams in football. Let's talk some personnel before we get you out of here, Hunter. You mentioned Jalen Jones, the quarterback transfer uh, from Bethune-Cookman, who has a background with uh, Pogey, of course, having gone to St. Francis Academy, which is where Pogey used to coach. So is he kind of – you You mentioned he's kind of the presumed number one starter. Are there any guys really expected to push him at quarterback or – is it more just his job to lose? So when spring began, uh, there were three quarterbacks in the room. It was uh, sophomore Xavier Williams, who started some games last year for Charlotte and was showing some promise. Uh, James Foster, who's a Texas A&M transfer. He had been with the program for a couple years. And then James Jones, or not James Jones, Jalen Jones, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, in the spring game, Jalen Jones got the first team reps. Uh, he was clearly the best of the three. I think he completed all seven of his passes. Um, and Poji had a lot to say about him uh, following the spring game, calling him a showstopper, saying he was going to make a lot of plays for the team uh, this upcoming season. And then about a week, two weeks later, uh, both Xavier Williams and James Foster were both in the transfer portal. Uh, Xavier Williams landed at UCF. I'm not sure if James has landed anywhere just yet. Uh, but after that, uh, Charlotte added Micah Bowens, who is a Oklahoma transfer. He's got three years of eligibility left. Um, looking forward to seeing him throw the ball. Uh, and then outside of him, there is Carter Black, or Carson Black, I apologize, uh, from, he's a Fort Mill. Uh, he's actually a true freshman. They flipped him from Memphis uh, this past cycle. So those are the three now, but Jalen Jones, uh, I assume, will take the first snap of the season for sure. You mentioned all the new faces as well, a lot of transfers coming in. Is there re really any area where they made the biggest improvement, at least on paper, in terms of adding those transfers? You're kind of looking forward to seeing how it plays out with the season. Yeah, I think it's the front seven for sure. Uh, they added on the defensive side of the ball, they've added quite a few faces on the defensive line, most notably Yabi Oki. Uh, he's Played some ball at Alabama the first couple years of his career. Transferred to Michigan. Had some sacks there last year. He's connected uh, with Poji from his St. Francis days and then his time at Michigan. Um, so definitely looking forward to seeing him. He plays defensive end. Opposite him is Damon Clowney, um, who played a few years at Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin. And one thing I will say, too, is there is an HBO documentary called The Cost of Winning that focuses on uh, Pogey's time at St. Francis. And a lot of the players on this roster now, I believe it's seven or eight of them, uh, were actually in, featured in the documentary, uh, Clowney being one of those. Uh, as far as the, the linebackers go, they've added quite a few, the most notable being Demetrius Knight coming from Georgia Tech. There's been a lot of talk about his play at practice. Um, and then there's a couple others as well from Michigan and a couple other Power 5 programs. Uh, the biggest issue with the 49ers the past two to three seasons is they could not rush the passer since Alex Highsmith played his last downs in green and gold. And I think if they're going to have any success at this level in the American, it's going to start there. So I think that there's been a huge emphasis put on getting to the passer and stopping the run.
Hunter, while we got you here, I want to ask you about the, uh, uh, you know, the unlikely basketball opening situation at Charlotte where Ron Sanchez steps down from his position, kind of odd timing on that front, at least, you know, from the outside looking in. He had had some success. He's gone back to Virginia to be an assistant coach under Tony Bennett again. Any idea kind of what happened there that led to, to that decision, especially with the move to the American and, and then coming off a pretty good season that would seem to be a, you know, a good time to be the Charlotte basketball head coach and it's a, a program with a lot of tradition. But what's kind of the outlook there and just the surprise of, of the timing of that move? Yeah, Tuesday, Tuesday around lunch, man. I was just trying to have some food and uh, the next thing you know, it's time <laughs> to write a story. Um, the, uh, the move from Ron... Um, I sensed a separation coming, whether, whether I didn't expect it would be this year. I thought he was, he was safe. Um, following, you mentioned pretty high watermark for the program, at least, um, in the, in the 2000s, uh, 22 win season, uh, won the CBI. And there was some momentum from there, um, until about three or four days after the CBI when leading scorers and rebounders Bryce Williams and Ali Khalifa both entered the transfer portal within 48 hours of each other. Uh, Williams landed at Nebraska, Khalifa landed at BYU. Um, and that that was kind of like, all right, your momentum is halted. You're joining a new conference. You got to find got to find some new folks uh, to come in and fill these roles. Uh, Sanchez added two ten centers and Dean Reaver and Deshaun Jackson uh, from Rutgers and then Washington State. And there was a little bit, I mean, you're kind of you're kind of waiting for someone else to sign or them to add another transfer as far as like a wing goes. Uh, but then you see, all right, Ron Sanchez is stepping down, going back, back to Virginia. Uh, for him personally, I think that makes sense. Uh, there was a lot, of, a lot of pressure on him, a lot of unhappy fans uh, when you look at you mentioned university has a lot of history, uh, but they're also facing an 18-year NCAA tournament drought. And this year they had to enter a pay-for-play tournament uh, to bring home a title. Uh, so it's it hasn't been the easiest journey for Sanchez at Charlotte, and I think that kind of played into making that move back to Virginia. Uh, what the athletic director, the athletic director Mike Hill, does with this is huge. Uh, because, I mean, as you mentioned, there's there's optimism around the program. There's been success in the past, but now you're joining a new conference. You have a very quick turnaround to hire a head coach. And there's definitely, there's all hands on deck to get that hire made, whether it's an outside candidate or it's an interim uh, head coach, Aaron Fern, getting a chance at the job. Uh, so we'll definitely see. Uh, but I expect this to be done either at the end of this week, so tomorrow or very early next week. He is Hunter Bailey, covers Charlotte for the Charlotte Observer, also host of the Highway 49 podcast. Hunter, appreciate your time previewing the upcoming uh, football season and also talking some basketball as well. Looking forward to, to many more conversations. ECU and Charlotte now in the same league. Again, they'll host the 49ers October 21st. But thanks for the time. I'm sure we'll be calling on you again. you ever need anything on our end, feel free to reach out. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. That's Hunter Bailey, who covers the Charlotte 49ers. All right, on the other side, we'll continue our opponent preview with another new team into the American and arguably the most successful team coming in, the UTSA Roadrunners. We'll visit with J.J. Perez from Inside Runner Sports, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. We'll talk to him 
about if UTSA can expect to compete for American Athletic Conference title year one in the league. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into this Thursday, June 15th edition of Hoist the Colors. We're rolling along, and we are looking to uh, reach J.J. Perez, who covers UTSA. We just had a good conversation with Hunter Bailey, who covers the Charlotte 49ers. J.J. covers UTSA. We're trying to reach him. Clark, our producer, trying to reach out to him and get him on the line uh, and talk about UTSA, which ECU will travel to this coming season. So we'll look forward to that conversation when and if we can get J.J. on. Until then, Give you a recruiting update. It is a huge recruiting time for East Carolina athletics, especially the football program. And if you're not familiar with hoistthecolors.net, of course, our show is called Hoist the Colors, but we run the website Hoist the Colors. And a lot of our focus this time of year comes on recruiting. And right now, we're actually running a 60% off special on hoistthecolors.net for an annual subscription and you can sign up there and get all of our in-depth recruiting content. And really you can't find ECU recruiting information in depth anywhere else. So the, a lot of our recruiting content is VIP oriented. We've got over 1300 subscribers along with our free articles that we do for just the general public. But a lot of our recruiting in-depth info and in-depth scoop is available behind that paywall. So we're running a 60% off special right now, hoistthecolors.net that will expire at midnight. So if you're listening, you bid on the fence, I can't recommend enough to jump on now. That will take you through this recruiting period, the next football season, basketball season, and baseball season, and really up through recruiting. And what's happened in college football now is June has become the hot recruiting month for high school recruiting. You're seeing guys commit left and right. Well, the reason this is happening is because you've got all sorts of official visits happening across the country at multiple schools right now. And it's just a scenario where, you know, guys are wanting to commit before their senior season. July is a dead period, so you're seeing a lot of players commit in June. That's what's happening at ECU right now. The Pirates have now three commitments who have announced their decisions. There's also a silent commitment as well who has told the staff he's committed but hasn't announced publicly, so we're on the lookout for that. We have uh, coverage for you there on hoistedcolors.net with that situation. But those thus far, the guys who have announced their intentions to attend ECU as part of the 2024 class, wide receiver Trenton Cloud, a three-star prospect out of Northwest Guilford. In Greensboro, North Carolina, Cole Hodge, the quarterback prospect out of Christian Academy of Louisville, is the latest to commit. He's a three-star quarterback prospect out of uh, Christian Academy of Louisville, and then Peyton Reeder out of Metrolino Christian Academy in Indian Trail, North Carolina. So those three Pirates or future Pirates have committed, and there's another offensive lineman, I think, who should announce soon. They've also got five official visits coming in this week. Starting today, we've got that report for you on hoistthecolors.net. I believe we got our guest on the line. We'll have more recruiting talk in our final segment, but – We've got J.J. Perez, who covers UTSA for Inside Runner Sports, which is part of the 24-7 Sports Network, just like Hoist the Colors. J.J., uh, we got to start with this UTSA program, this fan base. There's been a lot of buzz about them joining the American. Just how excited are they for, for this fall to start competition in a new league? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a, it's a big moment for UTSA's history. I mean, they've only 
been playing football for 11 seasons and for them to be able to move up to the American is really huge. So there's a big countdown here in San Antonio to July 1. I think they've already got some of the logos on some of the fields and the basketball court and their practice facility and just excitement, excitement with the the added exposure in this conference. You know, the, the, the more, you know, revenue this conference generates than Conference USA and just kind of looking to continue to, to build the athletic program up. Yeah, we, we had the East Carolina Athletics Director John Gilbert in studio yesterday, and, you know, he kind of said, the the big appeal for the American above the other team or other leagues like Conference USA Sunbelt is just the amount of money the teams get off the TV deal. And UTSA had a lot of success in football, even with the money they were making in Conference USA. And you know, one one of the things that impresses me most as I watch UTSA games since really the announcement was made they would be joining the league is the fan base. I mean, this is a young program, JJ, but the fan base in San Antonio has gotten behind them. It seems like there's a ton of energy inside the Alamo Dome when they play. So can you just speak to that and kind of what the buzz is there? It seems like a, a really good fan base that has supported that program early on. Yeah, so UTSA is just a young school in general. I think the school was founded like in 1969. So there isn't a great big large fan base of alumni out there. So the the select department's done a really great job of just kind of tapping into the city. San Antonio is a big city. There's around 2 million people in the city limits and 3 3 million people if you go like the outer county. So um a lot of excitement around San Antonio. San Antonio's like a small large city. You know, they, they, they we have the Spurs but kind of nothing else pro sports wise. So you, you know UTSA is kind of a big draw that they play in the, the Alamo Dome, which is located just east of downtown. And, you know, the, the attendance that the Roadrunners have been able to have these last few years is, I mean, it's going to be up there with, you know, the top five in, in the new Americans. So you know, just a lot of excitement tapping into the local market, all the, all the local media and just, you know, trying to get as many people to pack the dome as, as possible so it's been it's been good these last three years under you know jeff trailer they, they've had a lot of success and they're looking to keep building on that we're visiting with jj perez who covers utsa we're previewing east carolina's trip to utsa that will happen on october 28th could be a big game in the american uh, depending on how how things are going so yeah i wanted to ask you jj about jeff trailer big success in three years there seven and five twelve and two eleven and three and you know, back-to-back conference titles. And usually in some situations like that, you'll see the head coach get poached by, you know, quote-unquote, a bigger school. But Jeff Trailer's been able to stay there. UTSA's been able to retain him. Have, have they just heavily invested there? Is there just a, a high sense of loyalty with Jeff Trailer? What do you – What do you, how do you, how do you diagnose that situation right now? Well, well, it's a little bit of both, right? So the, the, the Power Fives have, have come to try and poach him away and – uh, you know, last year before last, they locked him into a 10 year contract extension, which, you know, was for a school of this size is a massive commitment to, you know, they, they kicked up the buyout. They also, you know, made a commitment to increase his coaching staff salaries and do some other things like improve, uh, strength and nutrition and add some more support staff. So the, the program is growing. They're trying to, do as much as they can with the you know limited resources that they have. I mean, UTSA, like I said, it's, it, it looks good, all the success, but you know, there's a lot of you know challenges with 
with funding and, you know, trying to get donations and all that stuff. Now you throw NIL into the mix. But also on the flip side, Jeff Trailer's a pretty loyal guy, you know. Everywhere he's been, he's kind of not overstayed his welcome, but stayed longer than you would have thought he would have. So, you know, I could certainly see him being a long-term coach here in San Antonio with the Roadrunners. I mean, he, the template is here to have success year in and year out, but it's going to be hard if one of these power five jobs in Texas comes open because they're going to throw the bank at him to try and get him to do what he's doing here on a bigger level. You know, the Houston's of the world, the, the A&M's, the Texas's. I mean, if those jobs come up, I would not be surprised. There are some serious discussions, but you know, until then it's, he's with the Roadrunners and doing the best he can with it. And it looks like a pretty solid returning roster once again that he'll have to work with. And Frank Harris coming back at quarterback. And for East Carolina fans who have not been able to see much of UTSA the last few years, kind of give us the the rundown on what they have coming back that you know maybe Pirate fans should look out for in, in anticipation of this late season matchup. Yeah, you know, just a, a lot of the returners that you know contributed to the last two championship teams are back. So, I mean, it's going to be a pro style offense, quarterback. Or, I'm sorry, a multiple spread offense. Quarterback Frank Harris has been here in the system the last four seasons, and you know they're going to have they're going to spread the ball around the field. They got a pretty pretty good running back, All American freshman, All American, and Kavorian Barnes got a pair of good wide receivers that were all conference last year. So, you know, offensively, they're going to be multiple defense is where the question is. They, they had the, you know, they gave up some things, uh, some yardages and some big passing plays. So can that defense kind of perform to the level that they've been able to in the past? Th- those are the questions, but you know, really it, it's going to be, you know, what can Frank Harris and the offense do? And we all know quarterback play is huge with, you know, college football and especially at this level so that's that's how they're looking there i i would expect them to be competitors in the new american for sure yeah i'm looking at their non-conference schedule and they've played a tough non-conference the last few years jj and uh tough again this year opening at houston which i know that was a, a thrilling game last year coming up just short at home now they go to houston they play texas state which should be a winnable game but army's always tricky and then at Tennessee, I mean, that's a pretty rigorous non-conference schedule before stepping into league play. Just is it important to, to try and, you know, manage that early and uh, have some success and, and maybe set themselves up if, if everything goes right to even compete for a, you know, major bowl game at the end of the year. Right. That, that's where it's always tough, right? Because you need that big payday to help with build your program up. Like this year, it's Tennessee. Last year, they played Texas, and it it was rough because they after that four game stretch, they were absolutely decimated on the offensive line. They they had to move, you know, a defensive lineman over, and you know, the, just depth issues. So you kind of have to walk a fine line. But they coach Trader plays to win these games, and I, you know, I know they they feel like they can be competitive in each in one of those four non-conference games and I, I know a lot of people have that Tennessee game circled as a you know an upset special so we'll see it'll be interesting to see that being able to play in that environment UTSA doesn't play in front of a hundred thousand fans all the time so that's certainly a factor in that particular matchup but you know I think if they could get out of there you know with two wins three wins that they'd be super happy as long as they're healthy going into league play and I think their bye week kind of breaks perfect for them 
and that, you know, it comes earlier in the season. So, you know, we'll just have to see how the ebb and flow of the season goes, especially once conference play starts to roll around. Last thing for you, JJ, ECU heading to UTSA October 28th. Uh, in, in about a minute or so, how, what would you, you know, sell to, to ECU fans maybe thinking about making that trip? Uh, any recommendations on what to take in around game day, around the Alamo Dome, for anybody heading to San Antonio on that date? Oh, yeah, for sure. You got to hit the river walk. You could walk from the river walk to the stadium. There, there's a bunch of restaurants and bars you could hit. The tailgating scene around the Alamo Dome is just great. And really just take it in. I mean, there aren't many dome atmospheres in college football. This place has fantastic sight lines. Like any lower level seat is great. The upper level, the, the club level seats are fantastic. And you're in air condition all day long. So, yeah, just take in the whole day. You know, hit the river walk before, maybe even after the game, and you'll have a great time. San Antonio is a great, fun city, so for sure, come on down. He is JJ Perez from Inside Runner Sports, part of the 24 7 Sports Network. JJ, thanks for the time. I'm sure we'll be hitting you up as we get closer to kickoff in October, but thanks. All right. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. That's JJ Perez. All right. We got to get our final break in. We'll come back, wrap up the show. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94 3 The Game. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back into this Thursday, June 15th edition of Hoist the Colors. Wrapping things up before we get out of here. Thanks again to Hunter Bailey, who covers the Charlotte 49ers, and J.J. Perez, who covers UTSA for 24-7 Sports. Great conversations with those guys to learn more about a couple of Pirate football opponents for the coming season. Two new teams to the American Athletic Conference. Tomorrow we'll have our final show before summer break. Again, we'll be back in August. Also, uh, we'll take a look at two more opponents as we wrap up the show uh, for the summer with Navy and Rice. Of course, Navy a thorn in East Carolina side for several years. We'll talk to Pete Medhurst, who's the play-by-play voice for Navy. We'll also talk to Matthew Bartlett, who covers the Rice Owls for the Roost.com as Rice makes the transition from USA to the American Athletic Conference. We'll also have Philip Pilkinson rejoin us from the beach as we take a look at FAU tomorrow to wrap up our uh, show as we look into the new teams entering the American, the new look American, as they welcome in six new teams into the new 14-team football league. Of course, ECU a member since 2014. Again, check us out, hoistthecolors.net. 60% off an annual subscription that will continue till midnight tonight for all our VIP coverage, recruiting content, and more. We've got the recruiting report, who's visiting this weekend, and a whole lot more. But until tomorrow at 12 noon, we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.